give us the Bible. He doesn't have to do any of that stuff. He does it because he loves us. He's got a plan for us. Well, think about this. He didn't have to make food taste good. Right? He could have just, it could have been like Cliff Bars. You know, you're getting all your protein, your vitamins, but they taste horrible. Um, the, I mean, he could, right? I mean, think about it. I know, I know it sounds like I'm, I'm making it funny, but I'm not. Think about it. Food does not have to taste good. God didn't have to make things like spices. Huh? Yeah, he could have said, okay, eat this rock every day, and it gives you all the nutrients and everything you need, but it has no flavor, no taste. It's just something. And um, you know what? Human beings would still figure out a way to get fat in the process, don't they? But, but he, here's the thing with that is he, he makes all these spices, makes all these things, and different foods, and, and, and all the different animals taste different. I like that. I like, I love eating animals. I do. And I like the fact that they taste different. I do lean toward the red meats, but I like that. Now, here's another one. Think about this. You know, he didn't have to make something like music. He didn't have to. I can't imagine a world without music, but some people don't, can't hear the music. And, and, and for some people... And I've actually talked to a couple people in my life that literally they hear music, but they don't understand there's not a rhythmic flow inside of them like for most people. It's just something got short-circuited in them. But God didn't have to make music. He didn't have to make, give us the ability to understand this and do this and, and how different notes work together. He didn't have to do any of that. He didn't have to make colors. Everything could be black and white. I've met people before that only see black and white. Um, you're, missing, you're missing when you can't see colors, right? You, you start thinking about all the things about us, sensory perception and different things like that, that God gives us the ability to, to have. Um, I just, I'm amazed by God's creativeness. I'm amazed by how big he is. I'm, I'm amazed at how much he does that that I was thinking about this the other day about water. I, I was looking at some stuff, science stuff. Did you know the properties of water are unique? There's, there's nothing on the planet that has the same kind of concept of water. Um, and how water, work, how water freezes and things like that. Everything else freezes differently. Everything else on the planet freezes differently than water. The way water does. And it's a good thing because if water froze like everything else does, our, our planet wouldn't last past one winter. But because of the properties of water, the way God designed water, um, it's amazing. You could just take that. You could just take water and you could spend your whole life studying that because of God's grandeur, how big he is. And he makes all this stuff cool. He makes it amazing. He makes it Fabulous. Because he's God. And then he gives us the ability to interact on all these different things and all different levels, understand stuff and process stuff. Something simple like us being able to feel love. How how amazing that is. It's a miracle. It's a supernatural thing that we can feel love, that we can understand love at at some level. And interestingly, how nobody, I don't believe, I don't know how to really prove this, it's 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 it would be impossible to prove this. 
I don't think we all love the same way. I don't think we understand love the same way. I don't think any two people feel and process and love the same way. I think it's different for all of us. It's, it's just different. Here's one of the ways that I can prove that. <clears throat> Some people, when they see a little baby, they go, oh, and their heart explodes when they see a little baby. Other people, doesn't do anything for them. But that same person can see a, a baby pony, horse, whatever it's called, colt, and, uh, and, and they're just, oh, or puppy, right? Some people care less. Uh, some people um, love in, in total different ways than and other people. In fact, this is one of the things about marriage that I think is unique, is men and women are not designed to love the same. God didn't design men and women to love the same, but he creates love. And he creates us with the ability to interact with this thing called love. I, that's, that stuff's amazing to me. God does all this stuff. And then he pulls us into us and he includes this, includes, includes us in this. He didn't have to. He just does because he knows we would think it's cool. We just would. You ever, you ever seen somebody that's, you know, listening to music and you can't stand that kind of music, but you can tell they're really grooving to it? Or you hear something that you really like and they don't like it. You know, they, they, somebody else doesn't like it. My, my grandmother, she was a very, very funny person, very lively, just full of life, just, just amazing. And she loved to sing and dance. She would always, you'd, be, you'd hear going around the house and she'd be singing something. But it was like these old 1920s songs, which had a little different, I like them. I, I love 20s music, but um, ni- 1920s. <laughs> Since we're almost to the 20s. Um, but like the, uh, she would also always sing that uh, bugle Bugle Boys from Company B. Boogie Woogie Bugle Boys from Company I, I love that. And she would she'd walk around the house and she'd be going like this. And I love that. I'd get it. I'd, I'd go with her, you know. Pretty soon she'd turn around and we'd be both be doing it. We'd just be dancing around the house. And she'd be singing. I don't remember the words right now. I mean, I could probably get some. But I just, I love the fact that it wouldn't have really been a song I would have picked at that time. I was, at that time, I was like more into Def Leppard. But, um, but just to, just to, you know, groove with her. And there's something about how God designs us, guys, that is absolutely amazing. Don't miss opportunities just to acknowledge, see, acknowledge, understand the amazing creativeness of how God has designed us and how he, who he is and how he has pulled us into this amazing thing called life. Don't miss it. There's, there's too many wonderful opportunities that we can have. To, to know ourselves better, to know people better, to know this, this world better, to know God better, and how he is the master of everything. And uh, don't, don't waste it being sad. Don't waste it being negative. Don't waste it being depressed. Don't waste it being pessimistic, critical. Don't waste it. You're wasting. You're wasting what God can do. You're wasting it. Why would you want to spend your life being sad? I, I, I was talking to my therapist today for my arm. And uh, <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a little uh, counseling session every time we go in there. But she was talking about, she's, she's probably about my age, and maybe a little younger. But um, 
I still think I'm 35. But uh, she was talking about um, some of her friends that, that smoke pot and drink and stuff like that. And she said, I just think it's stupid. She said, you're wasting your life. I told her, I said, you are exactly right about that. You're wasting. You're wasting. I think Anthony was the one that said this to me one time. He went in and was doing some work for some guy or something, walked into his house. There's a guy, like a 25-year-old guy, just sitting there high on pot. Like, you get one shot at this life. You get one, and that's what you're going to do? That's what you're going to spend your time and energy doing? And I think about this with, with drug addictions and alcoholism and stuff like that. God gives us a wonderful life. Let's do stuff with it. Let's, let's enjoy what God has given us. And guys, Satan wants you to constantly be not seeing that. Negative. Said or whatever. And I was thinking about this. I, I, I just had a whim this morning. I've been thinking about it for a while. And so I put my Jeep up for sale. It's still transmission still doesn't work. And put my Jeep up for sale. Man, it just blew up. Everybody started asking me about it. And uh, they they would text me or message me on Facebook and say, "Tell me about it." I'm like, "You probably don't want it. It's um, doesn't the transmission's bad? It doesn't run." I'm like, no, I I I looked at it. I'm like, I I think I like it. I'm like, you know what? It's a lot of work and it probably doesn't run. I don't want to sell it. I don't want to sell it. I don't want to sell it. And then this guy calls and says, "I'm coming over right now. I want this Jeep." I'm like, you know. The, the transmission guy said it's Illinois, but it could be worse. Could be the whole transmission. Could be three grand, three grand transmission. You don't want it. He comes over, looks at it, drives around. I'm literally watching him drive up and down my road. He gets back and I'm like, "See, you don't want it." He says, "I want it. I'll take it right now." I'm like, "You don't want it." And then I get here. I'm driving here to the church, and I realize on the way to the church. God's given me one life and one Jeep. <laughs> why, why would I sell my Jeep? Why? You got one shot at this, baby. One shot. That's not the point. He was excited. He comes back to, I'm watching. And he comes back and he jumps out and he's like, this is amazing. I want it. I'm like, are you crazy? <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 4. <laughs> I don't want to sell. No. He wanted to give me the money. I was like, no, because when he pulled up, a hose popped off or something. It was smoking. And he still was like, no, I'll take it. Just like, I said, you don't want it. It's got a broken hose. I looked down. I think the hose is correct. I don't know. I haven't driven it in eight months, nine months. I said, you know what? Let me fix this. Give me a few days. Let me fix the hose. And if you still want it. He goes, let me give you half the money right now. I was like, don't give me any money. Keep your money. I'm not going to take half your money for something we don't know that's wrong. Let me work on it. I'll get back with you. He's like, you're not going to sell it to somebody else, are you? I said, I can pretty sure tell you no. 
because I'm not going to sell it to you. So, <clears throat> all right. And then he said, so you're a pastor of a church, right? Yeah. So you're not going to renege on this, are you? I don't know. I don't know. All right. Verse 5, Nehemiah chapter 4. Don't ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins. For they have provoked you here to anger in front of the builders. At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city for the people had worked with enthusiasm. Again, it says that earlier. I think in chapter 12, they worked with enthusiasm. I love that statement. I've seen this a handful of times in, in my life in ministry where something just, the Holy Spirit really begins to move and, and this is the key, people are open to it, they're receptive, they're hungry for God to do something and it just takes off and enthusiasm begins to burst in people's spirits and, and they, 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 it doesn't matter what the task before them, they accomplish it. And, and again, I've seen this a handful of times. And it's an it's amazing thing to see. We, we see this in Acts when, when it says that they started uh, meeting in all the houses and uh, selling all their goods and helping the poor and meeting in house to house every night, that kind of thing. That, that, is, that is the Holy Spirit moving through people's lives. Now, in today's mentality, we translate that more into um, having exciting church services and stuff, which I like too. I, I want that. But, but when, when people are really open to what the Holy Spirit's doing, the church services are a small part of that. It begins to spread through your life. It begins to spread through your family. It begins to spread through uh, your workplace. And everything about who you are becomes... In fact, this is what I'm speaking on this weekend is what I was going to speak on last weekend. I changed a little bit, but not a lot. And, and, and just really thinking about what our priority is in God. When we really let the Holy Spirit grab onto us and capture our hearts how our priorities begin to change. And it's difficult for us to really process this because our life and our culture is what it is that we're busy doing this. You know, we're doing all the school stuff. We're doing all the extracurricular. We're doing all the work stuff. We're doing all the work parties. We're doing, you know, you know going to this meeting, going to this event, doing all this, going to get groceries, cleaning out. And you get caught up in, in the routine, the mundane of life that, that you don't think about and you don't process what it means to be enthusiastically pursuing God and the things of God. And to really say, Lord, I just, I'm just totally excited about you. The best thing that I can equate it to is <clears throat> when, you, when you begin to date somebody and you're still fairly young in that relationship and, and the excitement and the you just can't wait to see them again. Um, you, it just, everything about the, just being near them just being near them. In fact, this is one of the conversations that I have with couples when they come in and they're, you know, they're talking about relationship. I'm not saying uh, married couples. I'm saying pre-married or they're thinking about getting married or whatever the case is. There, there's always a red flag to me when one of the, the, uh, one of the couple, one of the people in the couple, in the relationship, uh, really don't want to hang out with the other person that much. That's a red flag to me. Something's not right. Something's not jiving. When they've been dating, let's say, six months, and one of them wants to uh, have her, night, her girl's night out all the time, um, something's not right. Because when you're really passionate about that other person, you just want to be with them all the time. You just want to be around them. You just want to, 
hang out with them. And the guys call you up and say, hey, let's, uh, let's all go to the game. And you're like, ah, I would rather spend time with my girlfriend. If you're, if you're constantly looking for ways, and I'm not saying after you've been married five years. After you've been married five years, the guys call me and say, hey, let's all go to dinner or something. You're like, okay. I mean, I've always been the one. It's just literally been in the last, I would say, less than 10 years that I really spend time hanging out with the guys separate from Linda. I've always just like being with Linda. I just, now I guess I'm changing. I don't like it as much. I don't know. But I've always just liked being with Linda. I, I, I mean, I get it when the guys call them, hey, let's all go to the game. Let's just, I'm like, all right, I'll go. But it's almost like I'll go, but I don't really want to. I'd rather Linda go to the game with me. I'd rather her go, you know, that kind of thing. And, and so I, I, think, I think about this in the concept of, of who we are in relationship to God and what is our enthusiasm about? What is our passion about? What do, what do we get excited about? Do we get excited about God's stuff? Do we get excited about the things of God? Do we, do we get excited about um, getting in his word and seeing what he's trying to tell us? Do we get excited about just hanging out and talking to him? Um, I think there needs to be, and I, I don't want this to be a condemning thing. I'm trying to say it in such a way it's not like I'm attacking us with this because I'm not, but, but when, when do we really just want to hang out with the Lord? Do, is there a time in our relationship with him that we grow to the point or maybe at the beginning or something somewhere in our relationship, shouldn't we be excited about hang, hanging out with God? Shouldn't there be something, you know, you, you, maybe a new Bible study or a just a time of worship or something where you say, God, I just want to be with you. It's interesting. It says that they had built half the wall up very quickly. In a space of days, they built the wall all the way up to halfway because of why? Not because of their competency, not because of their knowledge of wall building, not because of the, the uh, resources that were there, but because of their enthusiasm, the excitement of this. And again, let me, let me look at this in just the natural. Oh, yeah, I've got a drink. Just the natural here when it comes to um, building stuff. That's that apple thing. That's good. I like that. God, thank you for making apple fraps good. Amen. So, um, so I, I was thinking about this. I, I, I said this a, a few weeks ago when I was talking about this. The church that Lynn and I were youth pastors at in 1991, and how they built their building, they made all these apple turnovers, these fried pies, and and for years, like five years, every single weekend they would make hundreds of these things and just go door to door and sell them. This is a lot of people that were very focused and excited and enthusiastic about accomplishing the task of building themselves a building to have church in. That's. I'm trying, this is not a projection, this is not a condemnation like me pointing at you guys. This is me looking at the church, which I'm a part of right now, and saying, not just Church of Bargate, but the church, and saying to myself, I don't see that. I don't see that kind of passion and enthusiasm and dedication, almost a desperate dedication that says, we've got to do this. And we will sacrifice anything to get this done. And, I, and I'm talking about building a building, but that's, just take anything. Just take anything and say, 
when, every now and then, you'll see a church on the landscape of American Christianity that gets excited like that. And they change a lot of things. They change communities, cities, very quickly. But they're very, very few and far between. And I'm not saying just because a church is growing that they're experiencing that. In fact, I know a lot of churches that grow and have grown very large that there really was an enthusiasm for God. It was just that they had good leadership. They had some cool, catchy, exciting things and stuff like that. In fact, I just read an article this last week talking about how um, these uh, this uh, the idea of going to a church because it's cool and edgy and it's got all this stuff is is dro- is losing ground. And we just heard this like uh, six months ago at the Catalyst Conference where um, Andy Stanley was saying the way church has grown over the last 20 to 30 years is not going to grow in the future anymore like this. He said people have been attracted to churches because of what churches can provide for them. Like stuff like facilities and, and cool things and coffee shops and all this other stuff. And he said, that is not where the future is going. He said the future, and he, he was saying he really appreciates this. He said the future is swinging to the point where this new generation coming up wants a whole lot more um, real. A lot less stuff. What is the word I'm trying to use? A lot less, um, what? Fluff. Hype? Uh, what? I'm not understanding anything you guys are saying. I hear words. but Glitz? Glamour? Um, the way the article was, this article I just read, not what Andy Stanley said, but the article I just read is the millennials are tired of the concert mentality. Concerts you come and watch, and they don't want to watch. They want to be involved. And they don't just want to be involved in doing things they want to be involved in the supernatural. That's, that's amazing because you know what that sounds like to me? The New Testament church. They want to be involved in the supernatural. In other words, I want to walk up to somebody and be able to pray for them and they are set free. Pray for them and they are healed. Pray for them and their lives are transformed instantly right there. Regardless of what your church is doing or the, all the stuff. And guys, when that, when that begins to happen, you're talking, about, um, you're talking about enthusiasm like this, enthusiasm like the book of Acts. I'm not trying to be too negative on it, but I, I've been in ministry now for, uh, for almost 30 years. And I've watched a lot of things come and go. And the beginning of this um, thing that is now church, you know, it's attracted by all the cool, the edgy, the... the I've watched that go up and then it's starting to crash back down. Because why? At the end of the day, you don't go home because your church building looks cool and you get through work because your church building looks cool. You don't go home to a life that you don't want to live anymore because your church has a coffee shop. You have to have transformation. You have to have true change. True life change. And we've been missing that a lot in the church over the last 20, 25 years. A lot. And, and we're coming back. And this, this whole article was about and what I'm going to term as the enthusiasm that I've, I'm seeing here in the Nehemiah and the enthusiasm that we see in the book of Acts is a different kind of enthusiasm than we've been watching in the church over the last 30 years. It's not the same enthusiasm. 
We've been seeing enthusiasm for church, for the things of church, but not enthusiasm for a life-changing God that can get me off of drugs tomorrow. For a life-changing God that saves me, forgives me, and takes this heavy burden off of me called sin and guilt and condemnation. A transformation that literally, that I can pray for things and they actually happen. That's a different kind of enthusiasm. And that's, to me, that's what we're seeing here. So, but when Sanballat and Tobiah and, and the Arabs, <clears throat> Ammonites and Ashdodites, heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. Now let's look at this in the spiritual sense. What does that tell us? Nehemiah is the Holy Spirit, the walls are our life, these guys represent Satan and Satan's forces in our life. What does that tell us? This is a very important um, thing to keep in mind. Tom? Yeah, that's legitimate. Now, that's if we're looking at this from Satan using these guys against Nehemiah. That's exactly what's happening. But let's put these guys, take their names out of this, and they are demonic activity trying to attack us. What does this tell us? Yeah, that's, that's a key right there. They, they just rebuilt the wall halfway up. This makes Satan mad. Okay, again, what is Satan's job description according to John chapter 10? Still kill and destroy. When God, when, when Satan comes in and uh, God, in, and he's going to ask about Job, and God says, Satan, uh, where you been? What does Satan answer? Wandering around the earth. And, and put this together with a handful of other scriptures, looking who to devour. Like a lion looking to who, who to, to destroy, to eat up. Because his job is to steal, kill, and destroy. At least that's what he thinks his job is. And so, um, it, it says that Satan is like a roaring lion. Now, I think this is very important. Remember, things are not accidental in scripture. They're not. They have purpose. They have reason. Every single sentence in the Bible has purpose and reason to it. Why does it say that Satan is like a, a roaring lion, lion seeking who to devour? Why does it say he's a roaring lion? That's it. It doesn't say he's the devouring lion. Now, it's looking at who he can devour, but we never actually see him devour anybody. He's a roaring lion. He makes a lot of noise, but that's it. He's not actually, he's a lion with no teeth. Makes a lot of noise, but he really can't hurt you, depending on how you look at him. And so it says here that they became furious. Now, this is something to keep in mind. It's very important when we're understanding spiritual warfare, who we are, all this other kind of stuff. Uh, Satan is not just going to quit and walk away because you start building 
on your life and your soul and your spirit. And just because you fix some of the brokenness in, your, in the walls of your life doesn't mean Satan's like, ah, you won, I lost. When is Satan going to stop messing with you? When your life is over. That's it. That's, he's going to mess with you forever. He's going to mess with your mentality of God. He's going to mess with your relationships. He's going to mess with your physical body. He's going to do whatever, whatever he can have access to. Now, that's huge because uh, first he has to go through God, but secondly, um, and, and to have God's permission, I, I think most of the time we're the ones who give Satan permission that should only come from God. We let Satan into areas of our life when he could, we could look at like Job, where Job, Satan couldn't touch Job, so Satan went to God and said, can I mess with him? And God did give him permission. I don't necessarily think that God's going around giving Satan permission to mess with us all the time. I think there was reasons for that happening there in Job. I do think it happened some, but not that often. But for the most part, God's not the one giving Satan access to us. We are. We open doors. We do stuff like that. Yes, ma'am. They're intentional. They're strategic. And we see that even in Ephesians 6 where it talks about the different layers of the heavenly realms and things like that. Okay, here, here's something that we almost always do. When it comes to Ephesians 6, we, we, talk, we have the spiritual warfare side, and then we have the armor of God side. And, and these are like two complete separate stories in Scripture, except that they are the same uh, story. They're the same context. It's sentence after sentence after sentence are all together. The reason that he talks about the spiritual realms and all this stuff, and he systematically lays out uh, armor for us is because we are supposed to be very intentional knowing that we're going into battle with supernatural forces that are very intentional, very strategic. That's why all of our armor has a specific place and an and element to it that protects certain aspects of who we are and how God is protecting our mind and our, and our heart and all these other things because we are supposed to be strategic. Okay, one of the things that is not included in that is a hammock. He doesn't say, and, and put on the hammock of laziness so that you can be comfortable in life. But that's kind of how we think of it. You know, we kind of like put the armor in a bag and we carry it along with us. I guess if something just crazy happens, I might have to take it out. And then Satan, he's constantly just attacking and, and throwing darts and doing all this other kind of stuff. And, and I wish we, could, wish we could see this. From um, there's a there's a video game that my son plays, that um, it's it's Minecraft. A lot of the younger kids play it too. But when you when you step back and look at yourself, there's these things that can shoot arrows at you. And sometimes if you step back and look at this, you can see like ten arrows stuck in this person that's walking along. And I think about that, that that's probably what most Christians look like. We got Satan's arrows stuck in us all over the place, and we're dragging along a big heavy bag called God's armor, but we're not putting it on 
Because we don't think Satan's being intentional and strategic, so we don't have to be intentional and strategic. And the only time we really even think about putting on armor or doing any kind of fighting, taking the sword of the Spirit or doing anything, is when we are completely beat down into a bloody mess of defeat. And then we think, oh, I guess I should fight. Because we've been very reactive, waiting for Satan just to beat us, beat us, beat us, attack, 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 mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, financially, attack, attack. And we just get beat down, beat down, beat down. And then we start to respond from a complete area of defeat rather than in the, in the beginning of our day, putting on all the armor, getting God's word, praying in the spirit, walking out with the sword of the spirit in our spiritually in our mind, think, knowing that we are going to uh, have to deal with Satan today and we need to be on the offensive, be strategic, be intentional, and be a ministering individual within the concept of victorious rather than defeated. And we, we go around most of the time being defeated. But here's the reality. God's Word's way bigger than that. God's Word is the point of all of this. I, I saw an Andy Stanley thing Shelby sent me the other day, and I'm still processing some of it. But I disagreed with like almost everything he said in there. And I don't normally. I like Andy Stanley. But, but he was... He, no, it was still... I, I, I didn't enjoy it at all, actually. So <laughs> we'll talk later. Um, but he was talking about how in the future the church needs to stop depending upon the validity of Scripture and just focus on the resurrection. That even if, that's what he said, so even, even if it comes to a point where society can disprove the validity of the Bible, that shouldn't rock your faith. And I thought, there, it will. If somehow the validity of the Bible can be disproved, it will rock my faith. And he said, guys, it's about the cross, which I agreed with this part. It's about the cross and it's about the resurrection. But we've got to stop putting our confidence in whether the validity of the Bible is accurate. And I thought, I can't do that. Because here's the thing. Christine can tell me all day long how Satan is not defeating her. But faith comes by what? Hearing Christine? By hearing the Word of God. Not by an experience. Not by a knowledge. You can't even have the knowledge of salvation without the Word of God. You can't have, you can't have the resurrection without the knowledge of Scripture. And, and I, I listened to it like four times. And I'm thinking about this over and over and processing. Guys, if, if Satan somehow can disprove the validity, uh, this is exactly the way Andy Stanley said it. If Satan can disprove 66 archaic books, does he tear down your faith? Here's the reality. He can't. He can't. They're not archaic books. And he can't tear that down. And my hope is on the validity of God's word. Now, here's the reality. You can tell me all day long what God is doing with you, but my faith is not strengthened. It can be encouraged, but my faith is not built upon your testimony. You can believe all day long that Jesus died on the cross and that he's love and that he resurrected, but until God's word gets into my spirit and changes me, 
there's not a change. There's no faith. There's no hope. There's no reality of this. And here is the reality of everything. When you fight Satan, how do you fight Satan? With the Word. You don't fight him with your testimony. You fight him with the Word of God. You don't fight him with your belief system tied to a Sunday school class or a church mentality or something else. You fight him with one thing, God's Word. Guys, the only way we can be victorious is through the Word of God. The only way that we're going to get the mind right and get the enthusiasm and be able to defeat Satan is through God's Word. It's not through all the other stuff. You can line up everything else, church mentalities, um, movements, worship ideas, all this other kind of stuff. The only thing that is truly going to fight Satan is God's Word. And here's something else that I thought about as I was listening to this, was over the last 15 years, the number one thing that has changed that now defines millennials in such a way that has never defined any generation coming before is the millennials nowadays have almost no knowledge of God's Word. These are church millennials. These aren't, these aren't just out there. Church millennials have almost no knowledge. The way, this, the, way, the way Barna explains it is they are the most illiterate, scripture illiterate group to ever exist. That's, I'm talking the church millennials. We will die in a generation or two if that doesn't change. Because two generations from now, they won't know the word, they'll know the church stuff, they'll know the Jesus died on the cross, but they, don't, they can't get any farther than that. Because your hope is not built on that stuff. Your, your only hope, your only option for faith, the only true option of what God is trying to do is through God's Word. Through what God's Word is doing in us. Not what churches are doing in us. And again, coming back to the article I read this week, that's the major transition as millennials are saying. We need more. We need, we need more than we're getting. We need, we need real. We need life transformation, and we want the supernatural. That's, that's huge for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I, I struggle with this um, a little bit because I don't have working knowledge of this. I don't go to churches. I don't, and if I'm going to listen to somebody, I'm going to listen to somebody that does preach the word. Um, th- there's a lot of guys out there that are very famous writing books and all this, but I don't listen to them because I, I, I'll pick on one guy, Joel Osteen. I will not listen to Joel Osteen. He does not preach the word. He's not a bad guy. I think he loves the Lord, but he doesn't use the Bible. Now, he'll have everybody raise the Bible at the beginning of service and say, I believe everything in here I can do what God tells me I can do and all this kind of stuff. And then he talks about a bunch of good stuff that makes everybody smile. And guys, we're losing, we're losing generations because of this. Now, I don't know who these preachers are that are not using the word because I don't go to churches. I don't do that stuff. Um, like when I go on to um, Right Now Media, I listen to those guys, and most of them are pretty solid. They're preaching God's word, the best I can tell. I mean, I don't 
So I don't know. But I hear that more than anything else is people don't preach the word nowadays. We don't preach the word. Well, again, I'm not in these churches, so I don't know. But I do know this. When I look at the results of the generations coming up now, somebody hadn't been preaching the word somewhere. We've got people that have grown up in church that literally does not know basic understanding of who Jesus is past that he died on the cross and he loves us. Everybody knows that. He died on the cross and he loves us. But they don't even know why he died on the cross. Why did he die? You've got to know God's word to know why he died. You've got to know why did he die? Do we even know that that was to provide our forgiveness? Do we even know this stuff? Because the enthusiasm comes from transformation. It doesn't come from a good plan. It comes from God changing you, making you different. That's supernatural. All right, so the, the, they were furious. They, there is going to be warfare. It's, Satan's never going to give up. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. They were intentional. Are we intentional? Because Satan is. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. They came up with a plan. The, uh, the scripture that talks about the, um, the, um, the guy that stands in the watchtower and warns the city. I think about this a lot. I, um, I've heard this at least a half a dozen times over the last oh, six months. Of guys that are saying, that's what my job as a father for my children. That's my job as a father for my wife. That's, that's a pastor's job for the church. And there's this mentality that, that I, I'm enjoying hearing a, a resurgence of about the watchman that watches over the city, that watches over the family, that watches over the church. And, and we're not just going to, whatever Satan does, this is the way I've always said it. I, I'll, I'll say this like when I'm doing marriage counseling with, with a, a couple that's really struggling with some things. I'll, tell, I'll say, okay, to the husband, if, if somebody busted into your door, jumps into your living room, and starts attacking your uh, wife and children, you will defend them. You will jump up. You will try to attack them back. You'll try to um, shoot them or hurt them or do something to try to keep them. And if they start you know, trying to drag your wife out the door, or drag your daughter out the door, you're going to stop them. You're going to do everything you can. But in our American Christianity, Satan is, is coming in quietly in the back door and doing whatever he wants to us. Because we're not intentional. We're not proactive. We're not strategic. We're not really thinking through how is Satan doing this? Praying over our kids every night, praying over our household, praying over our family, praying over our church, praying over our, our uh, government, praying over these things and really being intentional. God, we, we claim this land, we claim this person, we claim this, our workplace, we claim this stuff. It's, it's, there's an intentionalness that we see here. Then the people of Judah begin to complain. The workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies are saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. And interestingly, I know I've said this a couple of times, but you go all the way through Nehemiah, they never actually do that. Satan never actually like attacks and kills a bunch of them. Because all he does is roar. Now, I believe if they would not have built the walls, 
and they were still trying to worship in the temple, they were being harassed and marauded because there was openings in their walls. And guys, this is why we need to work on our spiritual life. This is why we need to work on all the things of our life and our, and our mindset and our attitudes and our relationships and those kind of things. Because when we leave the wall broken down, then Satan does hurt us. But all we have to do to stop that is just begin to build on the wall. And we push Satan back because we are now being intentional with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. These are, do you realize these are their own people, the Jews that were living around the city that were not helping build, by the way. They should have been, but they were not helping build, and they were part of the confusion. They were part of the fear. They were part of the stuff going on. And they're coming to the rest of the Jews that are trying to build and saying, you're going to lose, you're going to lose this, you can't do this, you can't do this. I have seen this my entire life in church, from kid to youth pastor to pastor. I've seen this my entire life, that sometimes your biggest enemy is actually church people. They will attack you. They will say things to hurt you. They will tear you down, and they will do it in the name of God. They, it's what I call the trump card, the God card. You're not allowed to play the God card. That, that's a big deal for me. You can't play the God card. We, this is one of our things in our board meetings. And we would do this with our staff too, but I don't think it would be, I don't think it would ever, I guess it could potentially be an issue, but um, you're not allowed to play the God card. In other words, we're sitting in a board meeting and we're all talking about stuff. Do you think we should do this? We think we should do this. It's not okay for a board member to say, or the pastor to say, um, well, God told me to do this. God said do this. Why is that not Okay. Who can argue with that? God told me. God said. Who can argue with that? Now, there are going to be a few times along the way when that has to happen. When somebody, a board member or the pastor, will say, you know what? I really, I really think God is saying to me that we should do this. So let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. But you can't just throw the card down. Boom. God said, nobody argue. It's not okay. We, we, we can't do that. Because what are you going to do? The only, the only option you have is to say, well, I guess I'm a sinner. I don't know God's voice. I've actually said that before. When I've had people throw the guard card down, I'll say, well, I guess the rest of us don't know God as well as you do. We're all just sinners trying. You're Jesus. It's not okay. Right? Okay. <clears throat> so I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. That, that's kind of intentional, isn't it? What do swords, spears, and bows do? They cause harm, potentially kill. This isn't playing around. We're not waiting. Here's something else that that um, spears and bows do. They keep the enemy at a distance. Th this isn't brass knuckles. This is arrows. Keep the enemy at a distance. We're not going to let him get all the way up to us. If you let him get up to us, then that means you haven't been proactive. You haven't been intentional. Keep Satan at bay. When you sense that Satan is trying to do something, attack him. 
Pray against him. Rebuke him. Attack. Attack. Don't wait for him to have you on the ground just waylaying you. You go, you know what? I think I should do something about this. Right? Yeah, that's legitimate. Because there's a strategy going on. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said, don't be afraid of the enemy. So, so this is Nehemiah saying this. So again, if he's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the one saying this. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Guys, how many of us right now are afraid of things? I don't mean like spiders and needles. Those are okay to be afraid of. So one of the things they did to me today in therapy, it's called dry needling. Anybody ever heard of this? I hadn't. They stuck needles in my arm and did like this until they could get that muscle to spasm. When the muscle spasms, he said, it's like it's uh, rebooting. We want to do it on the muscle and we want to do it on the nerve. I couldn't watch. I got lightheaded. I, I, I told the, the therapist, I said, you're not going to be any good to me right now. And she said, I know, because you told me like a month ago, when you get your blood taken, you have to put your head in your wife's chest. And I said, yes. So you can't help me. And then I looked over at the guy and he said, I can't help you. I, so I just had to sit there and get a little lightheaded and almost pass out. And, and actually, I, I don't tell anybody, but I couldn't actually feel the needles going in my arm. I didn't feel them. They were tiny, tiny things. But I did feel him doing this once he got him in there. And then all of a sudden, my arm went pow. And he goes, okay, it worked. Pulls the needles out and he left. <laughs> Seems like voodoo to me, but. <laughs> so he said, do not be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. That's the point of this. That's where their enthusiasm is coming from. It's not coming from rebuilding the wall. As we have to know this as Christians, rebuilding the stuff in our life is not where our enthusiasm comes from. It's the, it's the knowledge that if we keep at this, it will be rebuilt. It's not the actual building. That's, that's the fun part. It's not the, it's not the actual you know, times when the Holy Spirit is counseling us or somebody else is counseling us. That's not the fun time. It's when you, when you go home that, later that day and you realize, wait a second, I think I made some breakthroughs today. When you look back at the wall and you go, that looks good. That's the point of this. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And I, and I do think part of our responsibility as the church is not just fighting for ourselves, but fighting for others and fighting for future generations. When your enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. This is what a church body is supposed to be about. It's, it's some of us are at different places in life and we can hold a bow while somebody else is working on the wall. 
And then we can get down and work on the wall while somebody else is holding a, standing above us holding a bow or a spear or something else. And again, I think this is where the church hasn't always done as good as it could in history. Is we usually have a tendency to attack our weak and our, and our um, wounded instead of lifting them up, walking with them. This is one of the things I... We had this conversation. You're going to see a little bit of a video about this Sunday. But this is one of the things we've discussed about there are certain sins that we put in different categories. And these are like uh, unpardonable sins. You know what? Homosexuality is not unpardonable. It's forgivable. It just is. Abortion is forgivable. You're not going to go to hell no matter what because it had some of those things. But we haven't done a good job over the years in the church of being able to embrace people who have really made major mistakes really messed up. We haven't always done good with that. And, and God's a God of grace. How do I know that? Because he should have killed me years ago. But he didn't. Because why? He's a God of grace. The fact that I can sit here and read this in some kind of teaching concept is a God of grace at, at, on display. That's the reality of that. So we've got to, we got to stand guard. We've got to do this stuff. Um, oh, I just I'm pushing it in the wrong place here. All right, so the laborers carried on the work with one hand supporting their load, one hand holding a weapon. All the build, builders had a sword belted to their side, which is not easy to do, by the way. It's not easy to build a wall with a sword belted onto you. Um, the trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and the fishers and all the people, the work is very spread out. We are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever... It is sounding, then our God will fight for us. I love the way he says that. When it gets bad, everybody rush to the same place. So who can fight? God. He just wants you to rush to the place. He'll do all the fighting. But he wants you to be there. He wants you to hold hands with him. He wants you to stand with him. But God does the fighting. When we pray for people up here, we're doing the prayer. We've rushed to the scene. Somebody needs a healing. Somebody needs God to do something there. But who's actually doing the work? God. We're doing the praying, but God's doing the work. He's doing the fighting. I'm, running, I'm out of time. So, um, last few verses, I'll just read them. We work early and late from sunrise to sunset, and half the men were always on guard. I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way they and their servants could help with guard duty at night and work during the day. During this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. There's an urgency there. There's an enthusiasm. We carried our weapons with us at all times. Even when we went for water, we were not going to be caught off guard. We weren't going to lose this because we were caught off guard. If we were going to lose it, it was going to be in hand-to-hand combat. But we weren't going to be sniped. It's not going to happen. You see the, the, the urgency, the passion, the stuff that's going on with this? All right. So how should we pray? I feel like I left half of this out, but how should we pray? Yes? I think there's a, a reality to that. Prayer, whatever we're doing, how, however much you're praying right now, whatever your prayer time is right now, you could double it and it'd be really good. 
it wouldn't be taxing to you. It probably wouldn't take, um, it wouldn't change your day for the most part. But just double it. I'm not saying you need to. I'm just saying that would be a legitimate way to look at this. Whatever you're praying, we could use more. Whatever you're doing, we could use more. God, more. I need more of you. Less of the things of me. So, here's another way to pray. God, help me stir something inside of me that I become enthusiastic about this. Maybe another way. God, stir something inside of me that I would become intentional. I'm not waiting until Satan's got me on the ground just kicking the snot out of me. I, I see him coming and my guard's up and I land the first shot. I don't let him walk up and slap me. I've shot him four or five times before he gets to me. Strategic, intentional. Right? Let's pray. God, we thank you for you. We thank you for just your presence, your power, the things that are you in our lives. God, we thank you for your spirit.